Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a five-part series on supply chain data management. This series is sponsored by Ascent Compliance. Ascent Compliance provides cloud-based SaaS solutions that help companies manage their supply chain data, facilitate stakeholder and supply chain education on regulatory and program requirements, and increase transparency between businesses. Ascent helps companies overcome the challenge of meeting their compliance business requirement. Finally, Ascent streamlines the data exchange process for suppliers, making it easier for them to comply with their customers' data requests. For more information, check out their website, ascentcompliance.com. In this five-part podcast series, I visit with several members of the Ascent Compliance team to introduce the topic of market access, consider what it is, an overview of trade compliance, how federal acquisition regulations, FARs, flowdowns affect supply chain compliance, the value of continuous monitoring, and the origins of laws impacting market access. The fascinating exploration of a topic that compliance practitioners need to be aware of. In this second episode, I visit with Travis Miller. We take a look at an overview of trade compliance and how trade compliance ensures or hurts market access. I know you will find this incredibly useful. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode. Today, I have back with me Travis Miller, the General Counsel for Ascent Compliance. Travis, first of all, uh, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me back. So uh, today, uh, Travis, I wanted to take a uh, few questions around or present to you a few questions around the overview of trade compliance and the COO. So uh, let me just start with uh, what do you see as the largest challenges right now in 2019 concerning trade compliance? The trade wars that are going on. Um, you know, it's on everybody's mind, on everybody's tongue. Um, all the boardrooms are talking about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, practically, um, it's asking companies to look at something that they just really didn't have to concern themselves with in the past. And, you know, that's the, you know, the COO, the country of origin of the physical goods. Where are they actually buying it from? And, and what exactly is that thing? Um, the end result of that is, uh, you know, can I continue to conduct business in the way I historically have? Or are these new considerations going to be enough to make me alter my behavior? Well, that really brings up uh, dire- or rather leads directly into uh, the next question I wanted to pose to you. We touched on this a little bit in the prior podcast, but I think you and I lived through a generation and maybe multiple generations even before us of uh, free trade and advocacy of free trade and seeing trade as the way to uh, push a political agenda, to push an economic agenda, and really raise all of the boats uh, in the ocean of uh, the global economy. But now we see a backlash against free trade. Uh, why do you think that is going on right now? Uh, a question that if I knew the complete answer, uh, I, I might be a much more wealthy individual. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I could say from my perspective, um, it kind of boils down to a couple simple elements. Uh, you know, it's um, the law of the jungle. You know, it's scarcity and it's uh, transitions in power um, in, in a globalist kind of sense. You know, you are seeing, you know, 
rising new masters, you know, new trading blocks, uh, new superpowers. Um, and there is only so much to go around to a certain effect. Uh, you can see this in, uh, you know, the drought circumstances and what we saw in California. Uh, you can see it in, you know, the fights to gain access to energy supplies, you know, rare earth metals, um, you know, certain gold, certain minerals. Uh, and the reality is, is, uh, companies and uh, countries that used to really push these activities, uh, the United States being at the forefront, um, are seeing potential global power diminish. And, uh, you know, they're willing to fight for that power and that capability. And uh, the way that they're seeing that rebalance or that retrenchment occur is through this push away towards policies that established you know, alternative providers or alternative superpowers, um, you know, China and the European Union trading bloc, you know, being the uh, the two kind of dominant um, kind of peers to the United States at this point. So I, I think as uh, those kind of rebalances and, and shiftings occur, um, you know, as there is a, a certain backlash against a perception that uh, these free trade agreement activities um, have somehow harmed, you know, domestic populations, uh, it's going to continue for a substantial period of time. Travis, in our prior episode, we took a look at, or at least considered, how companies could proactively prepare for perhaps a sustained trade war. But I'd like to really drill down a little bit now and ask you about, do you have any suggestions on best practices to uh, ensure market access for U.S. companies? Biggest area for market access is um, you know, understanding you know, the drivers, uh, the history, and, uh, you know, the future reality for regulations that are emerging. And, uh, you know, each market that you want to access has fundamental differences that are reflected in the way that they've passed law, uh, in the way that they've developed industry standards for how to comply with that law, and of equal importance, the way that they treat lawbreakers. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, now, let's just say you want to ship a product into Europe. You know, it's the single most affluent trading block in the world. Their domestic priorities are towards, uh, you know, safety, you know, recyclability, you know, the ability to decrease consumption and then domesticate in recyclability and production from waste materials. That's their kind of end of life or, you know, their closed loop recycling initiatives and what have you. So if your product doesn't align to those strategic initiatives, um, you're not going to get into Europe, you know, full stop. Uh, if you turn to China and a lot of the Asian trading blocks, especially the up and coming or the emerging markets, uh, you're going to find that their priorities are sustained domestic economic growth, the ability to bring other individuals and to kind of uplift their population uh, to invest internally and to use that kind of industrial revolution that they're going through as a way to springboard. So they're going to want IP. They're going to want domestic um, investment. They're going to want to know that when you're doing business there, you have a local presence and it's at least partially controlled or if not entirely controlled in many instances uh, by individuals that are loyal to that regime or that country and that their social contract is upheld 
you know, in China, it's still the way that the states were, you know, back in the 50s in a lot of ways, uh, where, you know, you're taught to protect your IP, you not know, just put it out there. And, uh, you know, when somebody joins uh, the business, um, you know, they might stay there their entire career. Now, the states are in a completely different ethos and environment where, you know, we're having um, a fight over, uh, you know, what is our actual mentality going to be towards capitalism? You know, are we going to continue to strive and push for this lowest cost production, you know, uh, lowest value or lowest cost to the consumer model and, um, you know, highest profit? Um, or are we going to retrench to the full other end of the spectrum where, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, socialism calls and requirements for nationalized health systems that model after Europe? Um, so there, there's just a, a lot of different uh, political dynamics at play at the moment on the global scale and economy. Travis, even with the uh, global fluctuations and changes literally at the top of many countries, I still see a very uh, robust business response in terms of wanting to do business in countries other than your country of origin, i.e. international trade. And that business-to-business link does really not seem to me in the area I work in to be negatively or at least impacted as much as uh, the political rhetoric would indicate from where you sit um, looking at supply chains, looking at the detail of that literally on a day-to-day basis. What do you see? Yeah, I would concur. Um, yeah, the interesting thing I have always found is uh, the best thing that can happen to Washington for business is gridlock. <laughs> when nothing gets done, business tends to thrive. Um and, uh, you know, the, the practical reality of that is that uh, companies continue to want to sell. Now, what regulations do is they react to the way the companies sell. So as these new kind of trade barriers, these new costs come up, what's going to happen to the business is it's just going to have new metrics. Now, an effective business, the kind of business that's going to continue to exist, that's going to thrive in this economy – is going to find what that regulation is actually driving at, which is opportunity, you know, opportunity for efficiency, you know, to find out these local supply chains where you're not actually shipping, you know, materials, electronic components, assemblies, you know, around the globe five or six times. That's just inefficient. It, you know, it never really should have been that way. There was just disproportional balances and wages and, and other activities, um, many of which that might be considered illegal in certain regimes, um, that uh, allowed that to be more profitable. As costs start to change and shifting focus, you're probably going to see companies start to domesticate business, um, which in my mindset is probably why we're seeing such positive employment numbers in the States. And you're, you're seeing companies having to invest and recreate themselves in more jurisdictions, but they're still going to continue to sell and turn a profit. It's just going to be, they're going to have to figure out different ways to do it or more efficient ways to do it that account for the new laws. Travis, unfortunately we are near the end of our time today, but I just have to add that when I see uh, someone or an entity respond to a business opportunity or a business need, um, I call that capitalism. So I think capitalism is going to be here uh, here to stay. I hope uh, our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take a look at continuous marketing in the uh, supply chain and market access. Travis, I look forward to continuing the conversation. 
Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of our five-part exploration of market access and how that relates to the supply chain compliance professional. It's a great series hosted by Ascent Compliance. I know you'll get a lot out of it. Check out our sponsor, Ascent Compliance, at their website, www.ascentcompliance.com. This special five-part podcast series is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.